Well, happy new year to you. Happy new decade, depending on who you ask. And we know that it's a new year because the gyms are once again full. The smoothies are being made. A lot of us are about three quarters of the way through Genesis. And there's generally a sense of optimism, isn't there? Yeah, happy new year. Did you know that roughly 60% of people make some sort of New Year's resolution? And this year, the number one New Year's resolution is the same as it has been the past number of years. Any any guesses? Lose weight. Yes, lose weight. That's the number one resolution in the United States once again this year. But let me give you some of the other top resolutions that people have made. Improve finances, exercise, get a new job, eat healthier, manage stress better. Stop smoking. Improve a relationship. I mean, as you listen to those, there's this sense within us, isn't there, that there's a better version of ourselves out there somewhere. There's a desire within human beings to develop, to grow, to make progress. It's the reason that resolutions are almost ubiquitous. They're, they're just, they're everywhere, especially during this time of the year. We, we want to improve on our shortcomings. We want to maximize our strengths and we want to continue to develop as people. And so to push into that desire over the next few months, we're going to be exploring one of the books in the scriptures. Uh, It's a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church called uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And in this letter, Paul wants to give you and I a greater vision. He, He wants to invite us to a revision. A revision in the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see God. The way that we view church, what we do as we gather here as the people of God, and and even the way that we view this universe that we're in. But in giving us this revision, Paul starts at the very base level, the, the very groundwork for our existence as human beings. And he wants to help us answer this question that in some ways has haunted us and driven us as people for generations. He wants to help you answer the question, who am I? Like really, when everything else is stripped away, what's, what's at the, the core of who I am? And that question is the reason that we make resolutions. We believe that there's something bigger, something greater within us, something more that we could do. And so we want to move forward. And as we begin this study of revision, this idea that God might have something bigger and greater for us, Paul just wants to start at the very base level and answer the question, who are you? Who who am I? And that's a question that the collective we has answered in different ways throughout the ages. In our pre-modern agrarian culture, where we were connected to the dirt, we were connected to communities, we were connected to tribes, people primarily answered the question, who am I, with the statement, I belong, therefore I am. As time moved forward and we entered into the Renaissance era, in a lot of ways, the collective ethos of society was, I create, therefore I am. 
As the Renaissance was transformed and moved into what we might call the Enlightenment period, you know Rene Descartes' famous line, I what, therefore I am. Think, therefore I am. We started to define the, the I am, the ego, the self, based on what we think. But as the Enlightenment era turned into the Industrial Revolution, in so many ways, the echo, the collective soul of society was, I produce, therefore I am. A lot of us still live under that weight, don't we? I am what I create. Now, in modernity, the, the, the mantra became, I am certain, or I know, therefore I am. We started to love the scientific method. What's observable? What's measurable? What's repeatable? What can we know for sure? And a lot of us even started to look to the scriptures in, in that way. That was the, the I know, therefore I am. But as we've moved into what we might call the postmodern or the digital age, what would you say the collective answer to that question is today? I what, therefore I am. I what? I selfie, therefore I am. I tweet, therefore I am. I think, I agree. I, I think if I were to answer that, and I've spent some time this last week thinking about that, what's sort of our collective soul today? Maybe we might say something like, I am authentic, therefore I am. I'm true to myself, therefore I am. I think it's the reason that there are so many personality assessments out there right now, like the Enneagram has regained traction, and I think that's really good, and then Strength Finders is popular, and Myers-Briggs, and we want to know what's in us so that it can get out of us. I think in some ways, uh, Madonna's song is a lot of our anthem today. Uh, you've got to express yourself. You've got to express yourself. All that to say, for ages, since the dawn of creation, human beings have been wrestling with this question, who am I? Who am I really? And every single person in this room has an answer to that question. I fill in the blank, therefore I am. You have an answer to that question. Something that defines your life. Something that's the engine behind everything else in your life. Something that's the foundation that you stand on. I'm a success, therefore I am. I'm educated, therefore I am. I'm right, therefore I am. Some of us, we live under a weight that maybe isn't quite as positive. I'm, I'm divorced, therefore I am. Or I'm a failure, therefore I am. Or maybe we identify it based on who we are in relation to others. I'm a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or a brother or a sister. Therefore, I am. You have an answer to that question. Who am I? You have a way that you fill in the blank. And as we begin this letter to, that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he's going to invite them to re-examine and re-envision the way that they fill in that blank. So if you have your Bible, will you turn to the book of Ephesians with me? It's page 997 if you'd like to follow along in the pew Bible that's right in front of you. And the reason that this is such an important question, who am I? It's because the way that we answer that will drive our entire lives. Our desires, our pursuits, 
our passions, our longings, and our direction. And so Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, Paul spent more time with the church at Ephesus on his missionary journeys than he did with any other church. He spent roughly three years there. We have as much information about the church at Ephesus as we do about any other church. We know about its beginnings. You can read about those in Acts chapter 18. We know about Paul's ministry there. You can read about that in Acts chapter 19. We know about Paul's tearful goodbye to the Ephesian elders. You can read about that in Acts chapter 20. One of the unique things, though, about the book of Ephesians is that Paul does not write the letter to the church at Ephesus because there's something going on that's wrong. It's not a correction. It's the only letter that doesn't have some sort of thrust like that. You're off track and you need to correct. And so in some ways, the book of Ephesians creates this sort of holy, sacred soil from which we can plant our lives in and grow to become mature followers of the way of Jesus. Listen to the way that Paul begins this letter. He identifies himself and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He wants to tell them where his authority comes from. God has called him to this role. And then he identifies his audience to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you know that the New Testament refers to the church, people in the church, far more as saints than it does as Christians? Holy ones. More on that to come next week, okay? And then he gives them this blessing. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And after giving this introduction, Paul spontaneously combusts. I mean, he just explodes. Because the next few verses, verses 3 through 14, are 201 words in the original Greek language, and it's all one sentence. Now, the English teachers in the room just gasped. They went, don't do it, Paul. Don't try something like that. Okay? But here's what I want to do. I want to do my best to try to read verses 3 through 14 as though they are one sentence, okay? And I want you to just sort of let it wash over you. You can follow along if you'd like, but just catch the thrust of what Paul is trying to say as he invites you to re-envision the way that you fill in the blank. Here's what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, 
which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan to the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's close in prayer. I think we got it all. I mean, it's a pretty remarkable um, sentence. (laughs) One that we could spend the next year studying. We're going to spend the next 20 minutes instead. And so I want to try to distill it. And I don't know if you caught it along the way, but there is something that Paul invites you to fill in that blank with. I fill in the blank. Therefore, I am. It's a phrase that he's quite fond of. He uses it eight times in these 12 verses alone. But he uses it 164 times in his epistles Something that was just close to his heart. Uh, See if he can catch it. He said this, that he, Jesus has blessed us. God has blessed us in Christ, chose us in him. The grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved, in him, we have redemption, making known to us the mystery of his will in Christ to unite all things in him, in him, we've obtained an inheritance in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Did you catch it? This phrase, in him, has just captured Paul's heart. It's captured Paul's imagination. I think he would look back at you and he'd say, I know, it seems like if you build your fill-in-the-blank with power, I have power, therefore I am. Or success, therefore I am. Or a healthy family, therefore I am. If you fill it in with all the good stuff of life, you think... It's going to yield life and fullness and joy. And Paul would say, I've tried all of that. And he would look at you, he'd look you in the eye, and he'd say, there's only one way to fill in that blank in a way that feeds your soul. I am in Christ. Therefore, I am. And see, to be in Christ is not like to be tools that are in a toolbox or clothes that are in a closet, but to be organically connected, like a, a, a branch is to a vine, to be in relationship, in life-giving relationship with the author of life. I am in him, therefore I am. And Paula goes so far as to say that when you are in him, you actually look at the things outside of him differently. He was writing to the church at Philippi, and and here's what he said in chapter 3, starting in verse 7. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, if you go read about the Apostle Paul's life, he had a lot of gain. Uh, He was of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. He was zealous for the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained in the best schools. And he was a disciple under the best rabbis of his day. He had it going on. And he looks at us and he says, 
no, 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 no. You, you, you don't get it. All of my gain counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be, say it with me, church, found in him. Uh, This is the foundation of his life. And Paul would say it took some revision. I had to really look at the things that I was holding to see if they were worthy of building a life on. And Paul says even the good stuff that I was doing, even the good things in my life, could never sustain me. And he would go on to say that when you are in Christ, what's true of him shapes what becomes of you. So you may be here this morning and wondering, well, how does being in Christ actually redefine us? How does it reshape us? How does it give us a revision for the way that we were designed to live, to fill in that blank, who am I? I'm so glad you asked that. Let me point out a few things. As we walk through this text and try to draw out, like I said, it's dense, but we're going to try to draw out just a few things that we can sink anchor in this morning as we begin our study of the book of Ephesians. In verse 4, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, there are a lot of people who get a little bit nervous, right? There's a collective, ooh, when we start talking about God's choosing and God's predestining work, right? I mean, churches have been split over this. Denominations have been formed over this. And I think that in many ways we have the wrong idea because our minds immediately go to, well, what about those who aren't chosen? What about those who aren't predestined? Is God's plan somehow limited? Because when I read the scriptures, it seems like God wants everybody to come to a knowledge of him and to salvation. So what's going on here? And I would simply push back and say, if our definition or idea of predestination limits the work of God to some and not all, we simply aren't reading it right. Because Paul in verse 10 would say, the plan for the fullness of time, so when time comes to a culmination, God's plan is to unite how many things? All things. Right in this passage we see. That God's plan is not for some, it's for all. Things in heaven and things on earth. The the work that God is doing is cosmic in nature. Not just, it is personal, but it's cosmic. We've got to zoom out to see all that God is doing and all that God is up to. And in the same way that the Israelites were chosen to be tools to be messengers to be a light to people that that was why they were chosen you as followers of jesus we as followers of jesus are chosen and predestined for the same thing to be his light as he unites all things under himself when asked about the tension between god's sovereignty and 
human responsibility, Charles Spurgeon famously quipped back, I do not make it my job to reconcile friends. He said, it seems like there's a conflict, uh, uh, some sort of opposition between the two, but really there isn't. And we read this and we think limits. And what Paul wants to do is actually the exact opposite. Because the Ephesian church was caught up, or the Ephesians were caught up in astrology and astronomy, thinking that the stars determined their life. Uh, They were wrestling with biology, thinking that the way that they were wired was the determining factor in them. And when the Apostle Paul writes that God has chosen, that God has predestined, that God is at work, he actually wants to free them from the things that were confining them. He would say, you don't need to live under the weight of determinism or fatalism. You live under the overflow of God's grace right now, today. And so sandwiched in between those two passages, here's what he wrote. For in him, we have what? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Paul would look at you and say, I don't care what's in your past. I don't care where you've been and I don't care what you've done. He said, if you want to trade stories, I've got better stories than you. But in him, in him, you have a past that's forgiven. I think a lot of us have this view of God where he's sort of the the divine scorekeeper, you know. Yesterday, uh, I had the chance. My boys are starting to play baseball and I'm going to help coach this year. And all the kids tried out and we had a rating sheet, you know, where we, how good of a thrower are they? How fast are they? How, how, how well do they hit the ball? And one through five, you know, and I think a lot of us sort of envision God in the same way, right? Like he's looking at our lives. Are you a one through five? And like, Ooh, Paulson had a rough day. One. Or, Oh wow. You get to the end of the day and you go, you know what? Sort of had a great day, right, God? He's like, yeah, four. You know, that, and that's the way we envision God. Hey, will you just lean in? And I say this with all grace and all mercy, and I hope it lands that way. We are all zeros. I mean, none of us go to God beating our chest going, aren't we amazing and aren't we awesome? He looks at us and goes, well, I created you. I'm quite fond of you, but No. And so when we talk about the forgiveness of Christ, we're not talking about how awesome we are. We're talking about how awesome he is and how great he is and how amazing he is. And Paul wants us to wrestle with that and let the weight of it rest on us because every one of us has something in our past. And we can try to outwork it and we can try to outrun it and we can try to make sure it sort of stays in the periphery of our life. But, but there's a better way. He says, you can run to Jesus and in him, in him, in him, realize that your past is forgiven. And I just get this sense that for some of you, you would put like an asterisk next to this or like a, a footnote one, see bottom. And, it, and you would say, I believe that that's true for everybody except me. And I want to gently push on you and say, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That this is for you also. This is for you also. A past that's forgiven. And then Paul goes on and he writes this. He says it in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He begins this 201 word sentence in the Greek with this idea, we are blessed. We are blessed. I love the way that Dallas Willard defines that word blessed. He says that blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. Now receive that from God this morning, that God is projecting good into your life. And there's a few things that Paul would want you to know about that blessing, about that good. First, he says that you have it right now, right now. Secondly, he says you have every spiritual blessing. There is nothing that God is holding back from you that's good. So think of it this way. If you have every spiritual blessing right now in Christ, you could be standing before the throne of God instead of sitting here at Emmanuel Faith this morning, and you would be no more blessed there than you are here. Now you would realize that blessing a lot more clearly there. Don't get me wrong but you wouldn't actually be more blessed. You couldn't be because he has already showered it down on you. You live under it on a daily basis. And finally, he says he's blessed you in Christ. That's where all of the blessing of God comes from, in Christ. In fact, in his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul would write this, for all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. See, you have a past that's forgiven, but in him you also have a present that's blessed. Right now, God is projecting good into your life. Now, this demands a little bit of revision on our parts about the way that we think about God's blessing, because where is Paul writing this from? Anybody know? Prison, jail, house arrest in Rome. Can you imagine going to visit Paul on house arrest, looking pensively into his cell or into his room and saying, Paul, how you doing? And hearing him say back with love in his eyes and spirit in his heart, I am blessed. God is ridiculously, mercifully, and abundantly pouring his good into my life right We have a hard time seeing it sometimes, don't we? I mean, I, just to be really honest with you, the last few months have been a roller coaster for me. Uh, many of you know that um, my family and I, we moved from Colorado back to California here. And, um, and in a lot of ways, that's just been a challenging tradi- tr- uh, transition. I found out once again that I stink at transition. I love routine. And um, it turns out that moving your family a thousand miles across the country messes up your routine. And it was just this Monday where I was, I was on a run that sort of I go through our neighborhood and around it a little bit. And, and about three miles into the run, I, I looked up and I saw this view that was just gorgeous. And I've been on this run dozens of times. And I've never seen it before. And I kept going and I smelled this flower that's blooming or this tree that's blooming. And it was just amazing. And I went, I've never smelled that before. It's 
it's amazing. And I just sensed that God was pricking my heart and calling me to what I can only term as an awakening. To see the abundance of good, His good, all around me. And maybe He would invite you to that awakening too. To not look at your circumstances and not look like at all the things that you thought your life might become or might be, but to look to Him to know that He is showering your life with His good right now, today. Don't care about your circumstances. I know my God. The air that you breathe is the good of God. And here's how He concludes the sentence. In Him, we've obtained a what? Inheritance. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That means he's a deposit. He's not going anywhere. And Paul follows that up by saying he's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. If you are a believer, you have a great inheritance. Do you know that? That the Spirit of God is in your heart to testify to the love of God and to point you to the end. That He will carry you, that He will be faithful, that He will be strong, and that He will call you across that finish line and open your eyes to all the blessings that are currently yours right now, but not fully realized. I love the line from this great hymn by Fanny Crosby where she wrote, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. It's coming. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Yeah, in Him, you have a past that's forgiven, a present that's blessed right now today, and you have a future that's secure. A future that's secure. And I think that's an important word for us today. As we live in a cultural moment where things seem tenuous at best. I mean, I read this week that Harry and Meghan are pulling out of the royal family? Are you kidding me? But on a more serious note, I mean, we have questions like, are we going to go to war with Iran? Some of you probably have questions like, well, the, the entire continent of Australia seems like it's on fire. Um, are we destroying our planet beyond repair? And maybe it's more personal where you go, Man, I've just got this diagnosis and it doesn't look good. And Paul would push back and he would say, I get all that and I feel you and I hear you. But you, Jesus follower, are in him. And when you're in him, that changes everything. There's this young girl who's about six years old and she was in class. And one of her classmates said to her, hey, hey, do you know who your dad is? And she said, well, sure, my, my dad is name's Walt. Um, and I know him. He's my dad. Thank you very much. And she said, no, no, no. Do you know who he is? Your dad, um, your last name is Disney, Diane. Your dad's Walt Disney. And she looked at this girl and went, there's no way. He's just dad. And she went home and she said she looked at her dad and he didn't look all that famous. (laughs) And she leaned in and she said to him, dad, are you Walt Disney? And he looked back at her and said, honey, you know, I'm Walt Disney. And she said, no, 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 no. Are you the Walt Disney? And he took a step back and he looked at her and he said, well, yeah, honey, I am. And she said, then I have one question for you. Can I have your autograph? 
You know, she gets more than his autograph. She gets his inheritance. She is in Walt. Therefore, whatever Walt has is hers. Is hers. And hey, you're never going to find out probably that Walt Disney is your daddy, okay? But God is your father. But God is your father. And you are in him. And when we get that, friends, when we realize that, there's just this echo that starts to leap off of the page. Paul says it three times in this short sentence alone, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, because when grace is received, and this is all grace, praise is released. So I wonder what you're filling in that blank with. And I wonder if God might invite you to an awakening, to a revision, to a new way to know that I am in him, past forgiven, present blessed, future forgiven. Therefore, I, therefore, we are. So Jesus, may the fact that we are in you shape everything about us as people, individuals, but also as a community of faith. We pray this in your powerful name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. To the saints at Emmanuel Faith Community Church, would you go in the grace and peace of Jesus.